0: I've entitled the message tonight, The Providence of God in Life, and we're going to look only at three verses in Ruth chapter 2. By way of recap, the book of Ruth was written about 1,100 years before the time of Jesus. It was written in the latter part of the time of the judges, and as you'll recall, that was a time when sin and darkness and apostasy ruled the day. And because of that, God brought judgment upon the people. Judges reflects uh, an attitude of uh, disobedience arising after a call from God to obedience, leading to judgment at the hand of God, suffering that would come because of the consequences of the people's decisions, and then a desperation and a return to the Lord. And there are these repeating cycles that we find in the book, of Judges. It was a 400-year period of time after Israel uh, entered the promised land uh, under Joshua and then before there were any kings in Israel. Now, the major theme in the book of Ruth is a theme of redemption, uh, which arises from this whole idea of the kinsman redeemer in Boaz, one who delivers and rescues and redeems. We're going to get specifically to the man Boaz as we get a little further into The story, but the back part of the story is that there was a man named Elimelech whose name means God is my king. His wife's name was Naomi, uh, meaning pleasant one. They lived in Bethlehem, the house of bread, with their sons, Malan and Kilian. They were God-fearing people, and there was a time that came in the land when there was a famine. The famine presented them with a decision that they had to make. Would they stay and try to struggle through and make it, or would they leave and try to find some help somewhere else? They made the decision to leave, and they went to the land called Moab, where they could work and find food. It was in Moab that each of their sons married Moabite women named Ruth and Orpah. They fell into hard times there, trials, difficulties uh, in a pagan land, sorrow, suffering, Death, all of it came, and maybe it even came uh, somewhat simultaneously. Some time passed, and Elimelech died, and then Malan and Kilian died, and here was Naomi left as a widow, and with her are her daughters-in-law, who are also widows. Naomi decided that she was going to go back to Bethlehem, and Ruth and Orpa was go- were going have to make a decision about it. Uh, Naomi tried to talk them out of it. Orpah decides uh, uh, eventually that she's going to stay in Moab, while Ruth decides she's going to go with her mother-in-law. We saw in the last verses that we read and studied in Ruth uh, that there was a return, and also we saw in that the marks of loyalty of Ruth being committed to her mother in law and going with her. Now, out of this, we get the idea that darkness often precedes the light of grace. And even when it seems like there is no hope in whatever trouble it is that we're dealing with, there is hope. And a return begins from recognizing the circumstance that you find yourself in. Naomi heard that the Lord had visited his people and that the famine was over and that the way was clear for Naomi to go home. And a return would require for her and for her daughters-in-law um, really counting the cost and determining whether or not this was a good thing to do. And Ruth loyally followed her mother-in-law and they went back to the place that would become the place of blessing, the place of Bethlehem. Now what is clear is that Naomi evidently was a woman of character because she made a difference in the lives of her daughters in law, particularly Ruth, and influenced them. Naomi should be credited, even though she had some questioning words and even some bitterness in a sense toward God in her heart, because she did make the return. Uh, when she spoke of what God had done, she spoke of it in the sense that God was sovereign in her life. And we're reminded that regardless of what our attitude specifically might be, When we make the return to the Lord and for the Lord, we'll never be rejected. He'll always receive us and he'll always work in our lives. Now we're going to look tonight in these verses at the sovereignty of God as the underlying foundation and then the providence of God in terms of how the events unfolded. I would refer to the sovereignty of God as his determinative will how God uh, determines what he's going to do and directs that in the sense of his providence. So whereas the sovereignty is sort of the foundation of his determinative will, the providence of God, on the other hand, relates to God's careful governance of creation, time, and eternity. So the sovereignty is more related to the reasons underlying why God does what he does consistent with his character. The providence of God has more to do with the actual unfolding of it, how the plans come about. The sovereignty of God is the belief that God is the supreme authority over everything and that all things are under his control. So when we say that God is sovereign, what we're saying is that God has the absolute right to do what he pleases according to his good pleasure, consistent with his character. And anybody that believes in the Bible believes in the sovereignty of God. It's plain on the pages of scripture. And even in the most confusing and concerning moments, we know and trust that God is sovereign and in control. Now think about it this way. God's sovereignty, when I speak in terms of his character flows out of his omniscience. He knows everything. It flows out of his omnipotence. He is all powerful. It flows out of his omnipresence. He is everywhere. And the truth that God is sovereign means that he has the power, the wisdom, and the authority to do anything that he chooses in his creation that is consistent with his character. So we believe that God is sovereign over all of creation, over all of time, and over all of eternity. Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. Colossians 1 and verse 17 says, in him all things hold together. Proverbs 16 and verse 9 says, in his heart a man plans his course, but it's the Lord that determines his steps. Psalm 115 and verse 3 says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Now, for the providence of God, the providence of God is the involvement and direction of God over all of the created order. Now, the word providence is made up of uh, two parts of a word that literally means to see before. Now, the word's not specifically found in the Bible, but the concept certainly is. God knows the big picture but yet he's also concerned with the details. God is bringing things to a desired end, but his plan has to be unfolded. And just as anyone who believes in the Bible believes in the sovereignty of God, anyone who believes in the Bible believes in the providence of God as well. God's providence is the governance of God, whereby he applies his wisdom and his love and his care and his direction for everything that there is, so let 's think about it this way: God in eternity past in the counsel of his own will, ordained everything that will happen, yet in no way is God the author of sin, nor is human responsibility removed. These are twin truths: the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, both are true. And when we get into trouble is when we try to reconcile those in a logical sense from our perspective, when we cannot see the full picture of how all of this works together. In that sense, there's a mystery in how all of this works together. And we trust and we believe that God is working these things together. So from beginning to the end, somebody said from heaven to earth from animate to inanimate, from individuals to nations, from hours to ages, from weeds to wheat, from birth to death, from catastrophe to calm. Everything is within the loving presence and involvement of our Heavenly Father. David Atkinson, in his commentary on the message of Ruth, wrote this. He said, a belief in the sovereignty of God is not determinism, whereby we would view ourselves as pawns being moved arbitrarily on a divine chessboard, or that we would be viewed as puppets with springs, strings that are being moved without any reference to our own freedom and choice and responsibility, but on the part of a divine puppeteer. The Bible nowhere teaches such a thing. Rather, I say, Atkinson continues, it introduces us to this paradox. It leaves us to wrestle With a juxtaposition of the fact that we have real choice, we are moral beings, we have responsibilities, and that the providential care of God does not override human decision or human action. And again, there's a mystery in how all of this unfolds, but we believe it if we believe the scripture. Now, you know the verse in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 we know that in all things God works. Uh, for the good of those who love him. He works all of this together. If we love him and we are called according to his purpose, God's bringing it all together according to his will and for our good. Now, let's read Ruth chapter 2 in the first three verses. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. Now watch this. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family first truth I want to show you from these three verses is that God makes preparations in his providence. God makes preparations in his providence. Now, so far in our story, there's not been a lot of good news. I mean, after all, we had an, uh, an ill-advised trip to Moab, three funerals, three widows, and a sad trip back to Bethlehem. Uh, Naomi felt like God had dealt harshly with her, Uh, There was some uh, bitter uh, feelings underlying that. And yet, in the midst of that, she surrendered to God. Remember, uh, regardless of what our emotions are, or what we might be thinking or feeling in the moment, what is key is whether or not we surrender and yield ourselves to God. Ruth's declaration of devotion to her mother-in-law is a bright spot. Uh, They returned at the start of the barley harvest and things were about to change. Every detail of this story is significant. And every detail of the story of your life is significant. Nothing is by happenstance, and nothing is without purpose or without significance in the sight of God. No matter what your yesterday was like, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And the key is to understand that God is preparing things along the way in his providence. Now, Boaz is first mentioned here, and we learn that he's related uh, to Elimelech. Later on, we're going to find out that he's qualified to be the kinsman redeemer. All we know at this point is that he was a relative. And it says that he was a uh, prominent man of standing And also, he was of noble character, which may mean something similar to a mighty warrior. Uh, He had a position in the community and among the people, and he also had noble character. So verse 1, in effect, provides some insight into how this story is going to unfold. Naomi comes back discouraged. She's feeling like she's got no future, and yet God is working behind the scenes, Understand that sometimes when we're discouraged, we can't see how things are going to work out. We don't know what's going to happen. God is still working behind the scenes to bring about his will. Or to state it another way, are you worried or anxious about tomorrow? You don't need to be because God is already there. Are you worried or anxious about next month or next year or 10 years from now? You don't have to be worried and anxious about those things because God is already there. And not only does God walk with us in every circumstance of life, but God makes preparations and goes ahead of us arranging the details to the point that we can have confidence knowing that the hand of God is in every circumstance. Naomi didn't know it and would have had a difficult time believing it But while she and her family were in Moab, God was preparing a man named Boaz to help her. Boaz didn't know it either. Ruth was clueless in the story. And yet God could see all of their perspectives. And he was planning and making preparations in his providence to accomplish his purposes. That brings me to the next point. God arranges plans in his providence. Not only does he go ahead of us and make preparations, but he arranges plans. We note this in verse 2. Now remember, Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem with nothing. Ruth asked for permission to go to the field and gather fallen grain. Now this would have made sense because Ruth was younger than uh, Naomi and no doubt stronger physically. Gleaning in the fields was hard work. It meant to go behind the main harvesters of the crop and pick up whatever was left. Uh, Gleaning is common today as well. If you go to uh, agrarian areas where people live in villages and maybe there are crops that are grown, uh, there'll be some that'll be left and you'll actually see the community from the village out in the fields gathering up what's left to use for their own purposes. God had commanded that in Deuteronomy 24 and verse 19. He said, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. He gave the same command regarding olives and grapes uh, in that particular passage. Now, I think Ruth demonstrated a lot of character by by not getting bogged down in her own self-pity. After all, she was a, a widow as well. She's in a foreign land now for her, and it's a reminder to us that we have to keep pressing on even when things are not going our way. If we believe that God makes preparations for us, that he's working even when we can't see his hand at work, and if we believe that God arranges plans, we cannot give in and quit when it might be that we're right on the brink of whatever the next plan is that God has for us. And if we give in and quit and stop where we are and show a lack of faith, we might miss out on what God's plan is for us because of our own decisions. And I believe that God would use the diligence of Ruth as a part of his plan. And that takes me to the third truth. God oversees the outcome in his providence. So he makes the preparations, he works out the plans, and he is there in the midst of the outcome. Now the Bible says here that Ruth entered the field. This is simply a description of A large tract of land that would have been divided among various people. The people that had the family right to their particular tract of land would have marked it off with stones or some other measure in order to show what was there, some other marker to indicate the various property lines. So what's important here in this little detail in the story is that Ruth had no idea whose property she might be on in the given moment. From her perspective, she would just happen to end up on the part of the large field that was owned by Boaz. Now, this is important because the writer wants us to know for sure that Ruth did not set out to glean in Boaz's field because she didn't know it was his field. She just happened to be there. Now, that's an interesting choice of words because The reality is nothing in the universe happens ultimately by chance, fate, or luck. There is no such thing ultimately as luck. We use that word commonly. We generally mean it as well-being toward other people. We're not thinking about it in a, a happenstance kind of a way necessarily. But there's actually no such thing as luck. If not even a sparrow can fall from a branch apart from God's control, and if God knows the numbers of the hairs on your head, then He knows and He controls even the tiniest of details in our lives. Nothing can happen outside of the providence of God. God is working behind the scenes, He's making the plans. And he's overseeing the outcome. Now remember, only God knows what is going to happen next. Boaz had not yet met Ruth. Ruth had not yet uh, even known about, much less planned, to meet Boaz. Naomi does not know that Boaz and Ruth are going to get together. She has no idea that God is overseeing the plan that would put Ruth the Moabitess, in the line of the Messiah. And we cannot miss the significance of it all. And that brings me to a concluding thought tonight that I want to spend just a little bit of time on. And that is that the providence of God unfolds for us in the moment and in hindsight. Now think about it this way. God's providence for him Number one, he's outside of time, so he doesn't think about time in the same way that we do, although he has created time in a linear fashion as we experience it. But God's providence in that regard, if you think about it from the beginning to the end, is always in full view to God. He always knows what has already happened. He knows why it happened. He knows all the motivations of why it happened. He knows all of the different factors that it took for it to happen. He knows why he permitted it to happen. And then he also knows what's coming. He knows what your tomorrow is going to bring. He knows the full span of your life. And I think the analogy of a sunrise is a good comparison here. Somebody compared the providence of God to a sunrise in the sense that a sunrise does not appear suddenly before us, but rather it starts when a few rays of light begin to pierce the darkness. And then after those few rays of light pierce the darkness, the light slowly begins to fill the sky until all of the darkness has vanished and we're walking in the sunlight of the day. And the comparison here is that the providence of God, which helps us to understand God's sovereign will for our lives, doesn't just suddenly appear in front of us. No, it slowly is unfolded As we look behind us and we can see certain markers and certain things that have taken place in our lives, as we pray and we gain understanding from the word of God and how God's working in our lives, uh, we begin to understand it in the moment, mostly from hindsight of what we have experienced and learned. And another commentator said, the will of God's not a package let down from heaven on a string. It's a scroll that unrolls from day to day. And the way that we discover the plan of God for our lives is proceeding on the basis of common sense, careful thought, and specific action, not relying on our own insight, but trusting in God with the faculties that he has entrusted to us. So we can say, whether in good times or difficult times, whether in wisdom or foolishness, whether in laughter or in tears, God is working out his plan for us. And what happens is that the truth of God's providence in our lives builds humility, faith, and hope. While life is a mysterious path filled with unexpected and unknown twists and turns, none of it comes as a surprise to God. And we'll never walk through any of it alone if our faith is in him. So what I want us to think about tonight as we come toward a close and pray is how can you see and how can I see God's hand in our lives? As we look in hindsight, we pray for wisdom and discernment in the moment. How can we see, even in the difficulties and the tears and the uncertainties and the failures and the the twists and the turns, how can we see God's hand on us? And What do we learn from that? And how does that build our faith moving forward? There's a song, there are a lot of old hymns actually that are wonderfully focused on the sovereignty of God. Uh, But there's a song uh, by Chris Tomlin, It's entitled Sovereign, and it's a basic worship song that is from the perspective of the worshiper toward God, and I want to read in part the lyrics, and then I'm going to pray. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm and with me in the storm. Sovereign in my greatest joy and in my deepest cry, with me in the dark and with me in the dawn. In your everlasting arms, all the pieces of my life, from beginning to the end, I can trust in you. In your never-failing love, you work everything for good. God, whatever comes my way, I will trust in you. All of my hopes, all I need, held in your hands. All my life, all of me, held in your hands. All my fears and all my dreams, held in your hands. In your everlasting arms and all the pieces of my life from beginning to the end, I can trust in you. I hope that you can say that tonight with confidence about God from your life and from your faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight for this brief snippet in the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, who's coming on the scene, we're in awe of the fact, God, that you know no boundaries of time. You truly are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and all points in between. Lord, at times we are guilty of, because of the fact that we can't see what's coming and we might not really understand real well what has already taken place. We're guilty of being discouraged and losing hope and maybe not growing in faith. And Lord, when we read a passage like this and we look at your word and the testimony of it, that God, you are sovereign over all, perfect in your holy character, providential in the plans and the purposes that you're unfolding. And Father, all we're left with is is a resounding spirit of worship that says, God, while we don't understand it all, we trust you. And Lord, if we trust you, why would we not trust you fully, trust you completely, trust you without reservation? And I pray that would be the case for all of us. God, may you be glorified in our lives as we find our confidence and our hope in you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.